You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Welcome to the pinnacle of wrestling entertainment, Premier Streaming Network. Join us at watchonpremier.com to unlock the ultimate wrestling experience, curated to perfection. Immerse yourself in the spectacular world of wrestling history, where classic battles and unforgettable moments are at your fingertips. Join us today and experience the epitome of curated wrestling content, because when it comes to wrestling entertainment, Premier sets the standard. Be Premier. What's up, everybody? It's Marcus D'Angelo, and we are back for another episode of Everybody's Got a Pod. But this week, we've got to call an audible. With the unfortunate recent passing of both Terry Funk and Wyndham Rotunda, Ted was on the road paying his respects. And unfortunately, we were unable to coordinate our schedules for a new recording this week. But with that being said, we are still bringing you some fresh content for some of you this week. So as we've mentioned here on the podcast, if you are not subscribed over on our YouTube channel... We drop a new YouTube exclusive video there every single Monday. Some clips are short, some clips are long, but they are all stories that you have never heard on the podcast before. This week, we've compiled the best of the bunch so that we can still provide you with some fresh entertainment. So next week, we'll be back in action. But for this week, sit back, relax, and enjoy some stories from the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. You know, if you've ever seen like a mini Coke, you know, you got those little bitty Coke cans. Yeah. Well, like, you know, us, you know, if we put our hand around that that can, you pretty much can't see the can anymore. Mm-hmm. We'll take a regular size Coke can or beer can, and Andre would wrap his, around, his hand around that can, and you couldn't see the can because his hands were that big. My gosh. You know, and, and drinking a, like, I don't what what is it? A, uh, those cans are like 12 ounces, right? Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, I, I, I think. And, you know, it's like, it, and, you know, like it was just gone. It was incredible. Like yeah. two gulps and the beer is gone. And the other thing that I uh, I, I shared, and I even shared this when I was talking to his daughter, I said, you know, uh, you know, obviously, you know, uh, everybody knew that Andre liked to, you know, drink party, uh, you know, being French, he liked wine and I drank a lot of wine with him, but he drank a lot of beer. Mm-hmm. And I, and I told her that I said, I said, and all the time that I spent with Andre, and I, I ended up spending a lot of time with him. Uh, I never saw him. I never saw him drunk. I never saw him stagger. I never him. Never saw him. Uh, you know. You know, like slurring control. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And 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 for the amount that was consumed, it was it was amazing. <laughs> uh, oh gosh, it's it was funny. We took. Uh, I can't remember. Me and Tito went with him one night, and Tito really got hammered. And and, and we go into we go after post post drinking. Uh, go go get something to eat, mm-hmm. and we go in and we sit down. And, and Tito just goes like this, <laughs> and so Andre uh, Andre uh, 
took a, the fork and the knife, put the fork in one hand, put his hand on the table, and the knife in the other hand. And, and like so, he's got he's got both hands on the table. His head's down. He's he's out, and he's, he's holding a knife and a fork. I wish we could have taken a picture of it. Uh, but uh, oh, just and, I, and, and again, I can't say anything. I mean, there there were nights where, you know. I mean, yeah, you don't want to get into a drinking contest contest with Andre the Giant. No. And I never tried, but he, he would just get big, drink, boss, drink. <laughs> he called me boss, yeah. <laughs> no, he's boss. I, I don't know if I, if, I, if I told the story about me and Murdoch in, in, uh, in New Orleans. Uh, you know, we we told the story on uh, Jake's podcast, uh, The Snake Pit. So feel free to tell it here. We got a whole other audience. Okay. Well, so we're in we're in New Orleans, and uh, I think we we weren't we weren't wrestling downtown yet. We were wrestling out in with a with Saint Bernard Parish, a smaller venue. But uh, you know, this is like when I, you know, I was pretty new. And of course, that's the summer Dick Murdoch was there. And so I, I remember saying something to somebody in, uh, in the dressing room. It's like, you know what? You know, I, I've never been to New Orleans before. I said, you know, I've never been to Bourbon Street. And it was like, it was like Murdoch's antlers went up. What? <laughs> he says, you've never been to Bourbon Street? And both of us had ridden there with, with somebody. So neither one of us had a car. So, he goes to Grizz and he says, his Grizz, he said, would, would you do me a favor? And could you ride back to Baton Rouge with one of the guys and let me borrow your car? Cause I'm going to take the kid down to, to, to Bourbon street. He's never, he's never been there. And Grizz said, sure, go ahead. And so, um, you know, <laughs> for, you know, you gotta, gotta yeah, I gotta understand the city auditorium where we ended up wrestling later was like almost, in Bourbon Street, mm -hmm. it was right downtown New Orleans. But St. Bernard Parish was out a little bit. So, when now, uh, before we ever get to Bourbon Street, Murdoch goes to the 7 Eleven across the street, gets a six pack, and we, we drink three each on the way Ooh. three beers. And uh, so now I'm going down Bourbon Street, and he's pointing all this, this, this stuff out to me and everything. And and then finally, we go to one of the, the most popular places uh, on Bourbon Street, which was, um, and I've forgotten it. Uh, oh, gosh. I've only been yeah. there once. I can't help you. Uh, anyway, uh, we, we go to the hot spot. Uh, and, and, uh, and so, you know, uh, he gives me, he, oh, a hurry. The, this, the drink is there. It's called a hurricane. Oh boy. And, uh, it's the popular drink. I mean, so, uh, he orders, Kenny says, you can't come to Bourbon Street and not have hurricane. Oh, Pat O'Brien's. That was the name of the, the bar, Pat O'Brien's. Gotcha. And so, so he, I get this, you know, the hurricane, you know? And so, uh, I'm, I'm sipping on the hurricane and everything, you know, and I'm okay. I'm still okay. I'm okay. You know, it's like, you know, what I didn't know uh, is that, Murdoch had winked at the bartender, kind of like, you know, make it a little heavy. <laughs> and so I drink one and he orders me another one. And I said, look, I said, I ain't drinking another one unless you drink one with me. He says, no problem. Oh, no. And so I finally get to where 
I remember I was okay as long as I was sitting there. When I got up and I went to the, the bathroom, all that blood started circulating. I went, oh, my gosh. And I went back and I said, Murdoch, you better get me out of here while I can still walk or you'll be carrying me. He looked at me and he said, rookie. <laughs> yeah. So as we leave Pat O'Brien's on Bourbon Street and we're going back to where our car is parked, we're going all the way back down Canal Street. And uh, there's a hot dog vendor on every other corner. And I would stop on every other corner. And get a chili a chili dog. <laughs> now, when we first got there, we went to uh, 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 Felix's Oyster Bar, and it's the first time I had I had raw oysters. You know, I so I had twelve raw oysters. You know, all this beer, then all this alcohol. Oh no! And then chili dogs. Well, we get in the car and we start back. And you know, I'm starting to not I'm, and Murdoch's just he's, he just reached over and slapped me, slap, you know, slap the side of my head. Come on, kid, wake up! You know, you, you're my co-pilot. You got to keep me awake. <laughs> and he was, you know, he was, you know, he was. Oh gosh, he said, "Come on, rookie." <laughs> so there's a long bridge, the Pontchartrain Bridge. You're leaving New Orleans, and if you're going back to Baton Rouge. So you cross you cross this long long bridge, and I mean, you know, you just, you pray you don't have a flat there because if you're get struck on the side of the road, you're really stuck. And so, just as we come off that bridge, bam, we have a flat tire. Oh no! Bop, 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 bop. And so we get out, and so uh, we open the trunk, and there's a spare tire. And we get the jack, and this is like the old, you know, I don't know if a lot of the people will know, understand this, but the old jack, you know, the jacks that we were used to was like, there's the stand, there's the, the pole, and then there's the other part that you hook on to that piece, and that's the, the part that goes under the bumper. Yes. Well, on these newer cars, all it had was this, it was like a big hook and there's a slit on either side of the bumper for that, that thing to slide into to where you don't need that great big hook. Well, uh, us two are th these two brain surgeons. We didn't know that. So we're, we're looking for, we're still looking for the, the rest. Part of the Jack's missing is what we thought. So Murdoch takes that little piece. That's about that long. Okay. okay. And he slides it under the bumper. Oh, no. He's trying very carefully to jack the car up. And uh, and so he gets up a certain place. And, uh, and so uh, uh, he, uh, you know, he has to let go. This is, you know, he, he thought it was, it was falling and it was. And so, uh, and, and, and when I, you know, when he jumps back, we had, we had taken all the lug nuts and just put them in the hubcap. Well, when he had to jump back and, and everything, all the lug nuts go out on the highway. Oh God. Now I'm drunk on my tail and I'm crawling around on interstate 10 <laughs> looking 
for the lug nuts. And, and, and Murdoch, Murdoch says, get up, kid, somebody's stopping. I said, good, we need some help. And so <laughs> I kid you not, brother, I crawled up to two of the shiniest black boots you've ever seen. Oh, no. You know, and I'm on all fours. And I look up, and there's, there's a Louisiana State trooper. He's got his <laughs> arms crossed like this. And they, they wear those, like, the Mountie hats down there. Yeah. And so he's looking at me, and and I look up at him, and, and, and his exact words were, what the are you doing? <laughs> and I said, well, officer, I'm looking for my nuts. I, I, I mean, my lug nuts. And he says, probably looking for both. <laughs> he says, get your dumb ass out of the, off the highway. And so Murdoch, Murdoch's a talker. And, and he, you know, he, he, you know, he told, he, he tells the officer, he says, you know, we we're, we're professional wrestlers. You know, we just wrestled out at St. Bernard Parish and, you know, the kid had never been to Bourbon street and I took him down there and obviously hasn't been able to handle his alcohol too, uh, too well. He says, have you had anything? I said, he said, officer, I've just had, you know, a couple of beers. I'm okay. And so, uh, so then he, he shows us how stupid we were and he takes the Jack and just puts that, puts that little hook and that little slit in the back bumper and jacks that sucker right up. You know, and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And so anyway, uh, we get the tire changed and everything. And, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, the, and the officer looks at me and he says, you over there, <laughs> you know, like get in the car and shut up. And so, so, uh, and, and Dick thanks him for his help and everything. And, you know, by the grace of God, we didn't get a ticket. Unbelievable. And so now, now we, we still got about uh, a 15 or 20 minute ride, you know, into Baton Rouge and, and to our hotel. So now all those hurricanes and chili dogs and oysters are rolling around in my belly. Oh boy. <laughs> and I said, uh, Dick, I think I'm going to be sick. He said, kid, I ain't stopping. He says, you, you get sick. He said, you're going to have to stick your head out the window and let her rip. <laughs> I rolled that window down. Now we're going 70, 80 miles again. And I'm just hurling out of that window. <laughs> Oh, so we finally get back to the, the hotel. And when I get out of the car, there is puke <laughs> from the, from, from my door back to the end of the, you know, of the fender. Oh God. Oh gosh. And, and it's a yellow car. Oh, geez. So, oh, it's just horrible. You know, and, uh, you know, and then we, we go around and we look at the bumper where, you know, where the, he, we had tried to jack it up and it, and it, you know, well, when it fell, it was like a can opener effect. And I mean, it's, it's like, it just ripped a hole in, in his fender. Uh, it's just unbelievable. And so, uh, anyway, he says, well, he says, you know, well, is that the killed res? What happened? We'll, we'll pay for it. So we go to bed. Now this is probably like three o'clock you know, in the morning and I wake up with this hangover. 
you know, at first I, and I look, I, you know, I look out the window and the car is sitting there and the car is spotless from what I could see. Right. Yeah. And it, it had rained. And when it rains down there, it's like a monsoon. It had rained real hard and washed the, the, all, the, all the puke and crap off the car. Oh, nice. Said, oh man, this is wonderful. And then I walked behind the car and I went, Oh my God. <laughs> Where, you know, it had that, <laughs> Dick, Dick came. I, I said, Dick, he says, look, look what we did to the fender. And he says, well, we'll just have to tell Grizz to get it fixed and paying for it. And I said, yeah, I guess so. And so Grizz shows up and I remember now, now before he even knocks on anybody's door, you know, he's come to get his car <laughs> and he's standing in the back with his hands crossed <laughs> like this, look, looking at his, looking at his fender. And so Dick and I go out there and uh, we apologize and just tell him, you know, we're so sorry, Grez, and he said, get it fixed and we'll be, we'll, we'll be happy to pay, pay for it, you know? And uh, so I mean, of course we told him the whole story and he says, uh, no, I'm not going to get it fixed. And we looked at each other and kind of looked at him and said, why? He says, because no doubt there's going to be a whole lot of people ask me how that happened. And when they do, I'm going to tell them about you two dumbasses. <laughs> <laughs> and he never got it fixed. So, I'm sure he told that story a bunch of times. Though. Oh, oh yeah. And that was, so that was my, first experience with uh, uh, New Orleans and, and uh, Canal Street. You ever go back? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I'd be hesitant yeah. after oh, a trip oh, I like was that. A lot more, I was a lot more com uh, careful, you know. Ooh, God oh, my. You oh, don't yeah. want to go drink for drink with Dick Murdoch ever, oh, from what oh, I've been told. Oh, no, I never. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he was just unreal, man. I mean, man. I remember in Texas now, this is like, you know, uh, the fast forward, uh, you know, I can't remember all how, how it all happened, but he's back in Texas and I'm back in Texas and he's working for the funks, you know, and, you know, yeah, I always drove a pickup truck and, and, but, but we would stop like, and, you know, it was like, I think Mondays we would go from Amarillo down to Abilene. We wrestle in Abilene and we would drive across to Odessa and we would wrestle in Odessa on Tuesday night. And then Wednesday night, we would go down to San Angelo and we'd wrestle in San Angelo on Wednesday night and then drive all the way back to Amarillo. Oh my gosh. And uh, we would wrestle in Amarillo on Thursday night. We would wrestle in Lubbock on uh, Friday night. And then we would do TV on Saturday. And then we would either go to uh, Hereford, which was the short trip, 30 miles, or Colorado Springs. <laughs> And then everybody went to Albuquerque on Sunday. And then Monday, it started all over. You talk about putting on miles. Oh, my God. Man. Yeah, if I'd have been paid by the mile, I'd have been the million-dollar man long before I got the gimmick. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, Murdoch was just, you know, I, the first thing we do, we get, get it. We get, when we got to town, we would stop at a 7-Eleven, get a case of beer, put it on ice, and it was ready for the trip. Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing that, you know, you know, we, you know, in number of ones, it's amazing. We didn't get stopped, you know, 
you know, that, that story about you guys in New Orleans is like, it's, it's wild. But, you know, when, when I hear that you're with Dick Murdoch, it's like all of that kind of makes sense. Like the flat tire, the craziness, like just, oh, yeah. just sounds like that's exactly what would happen if you went yeah. out drinking with Dick oh, Murdoch. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you know, he and Dusty were a team uh, for a, for a good long time. And I thought, I'm trying to think where they went. I think, I think they went to, uh, oh gosh, uh, New Zealand. I don't know. I, I know, I know that they went somewhere, you know, uh, as a team, you know, overseas and, and wrestled together, but they were, uh, they were a great tag team too. I remember that's the first time I met Dusty was in Amarillo at Dickie's house. So. Man, uh, I've seen all the photos of those guys when they were young, and I can't even begin to imagine the the wild party scene that they were experiencing. Because, oh yeah. gosh, those yeah. two guys, stories yeah. for days. No kidding. Okay, guys, let's take a quick break to talk about taking care of some serious business. And I'm talking about taking care of business in the bedroom. And if you're trying to take care of business, you need to try Blue Chew. Guys, let's just take a minute to talk about sex. You remember back in the day when you were always ready to go? Well, with a little help from Blue Chew, you can get that thing so hard you can take it hunting. It's going to help increase your performance and regain that old confidence in bed. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready when the opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And you want to know the best part? It's all done online. No awkward visits to the doctor's office, no weird conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy anymore. BlueChew's tablets are made right here in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. But of course, there will be nothing discreet about your package. Look, guys, I ordinarily like to try things before I make any kind of a commitment, you know, because you want to find out, is this actually going to work? Will it work for me? Well, that's good. That's got to be the best part of this whole thing. With our deal, you can try it for a month for free. All you have to do is pay $5 shipping. This whole time, you and your partner may have been having the best sex of your whole life and been missing out on it without even knowing. So why not just give Blue Chew a shot? Just find out. You know, when you can get it for a month for free with only $5 shipping, it's silly not to just give it a try. Women are attracted to confidence, and Blue Chew can help to give you confidence where it counts the very most. Don't wait any longer. Let's chew it and do it. Take advantage of our special deal. Again, you can try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code EGAP at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code EGAP, and receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Good for Bill for getting out from under, uh, you know, kind of what was going to be a failing territory there, uh, Mid-South, which was then the UWF. Uh, it's I, I can't really think of a, a more polite way to ask this, so I'm just going to be blunt about it. Do you think that uh, that Bill Watts fleeced the Crockett's with that deal? Because uh, I've heard people say, like, what are you buying when you buy a territory exactly? Uh, yeah, well, I don't, you know. Again, I don't know. I mean, um, uh, you know, it's like, I, I don't know if the Crockett's, you know, 
it's hard for me to answer that question. I mean, I don't, uh, I know Bill was extremely, you know, he's probably one of those, I mean, yeah, one of the smartest guys I've ever met. Yeah. And, and especially when it comes to this business. And so, I mean, I, I believe that Bill saw the high handwriting on the wall and, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, if, if you're playing, if you're playing the game, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to show them your hand, you know, I mean, I don't think he went to the Crockett's and said, Hey, I want to sell you my territory because I believe that the WWF is going to be uh, the only thing left because the WWF was going to all you know, when Vince started out, he, he went to all those promoters. And I don't know if you know that story, but he went to all of them and said, here's what I'm about to do. And he says, if you want to come on board and, and be a part of it, you're welcome. But if not, just know I'm coming. Man. And and so you and you can't get any, you know, can't get any any more plain than that. It wasn't like, you know, he was running in and, and uh I'm gonna steal your territory. He just told him, he said, I'm gonna go nationwide. And he says, if you want to be a part of it, come on. And like most promoters, they, you know, you know, you're not gonna you're gonna, you're gonna do what, you know. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe the egos are too big. Uh, I, I don't know with the, with the Crockett's and, and I, you know, the other thing is I, you know, I, I never knew the Crockett's. I, uh, it's, it's like Charlotte was one, one of the biggest, most respectable territories in the, in the wrestling industry. And, uh, I never had the opportunity to work for them. Uh, I, I just never, I mean, I, I, I never got an invitation from them. I never, uh, I never like, you know, uh, I never solicited them to work for their territory. Uh, and, and, you know, I think the only time I ever met one of the Crockett's was, uh, at a, at a match I was having in St. Louis, you know, and I was just, uh, I don't know. Uh, um, Jimmy Crockett just seemed very, uh, nose in the air to me, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like, hey, kid, you know, you're doing great, blah, 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 you know, nothing. You know, it's like, so if he's not going to talk to me, I'm not going to talk to him. Interesting to think of what could have been if you had gone to that territory. Like, I yeah. wonder if you could have helped save the Crockett's. I think that you certainly would have been a, a big step in the right direction. Yeah, but I mean, uh, you know, and, you know, but but uh, at, the, at the end of the day, you know, Bill was right, you know, uh, about what he saw coming down the road. And, uh, I, you know, it was kind of like, uh, well, you know, like it's too little, too late. It's like if I'd have seen this coming sooner, I might have been able to do something. But I, you know, he didn't have the, uh, uh, you know, I, I, and again, the other thing that that Bill didn't have was that he didn't have the money that the McMahons had. So, right. So you know, New York was shoo, big money territory. Well, and again, good for Bill, like whether that was a kind of a, a trumped up deal or a phony deal or whatever, some, cause those are the opinions I've heard. I don't necessarily have an opinion on the matter cause I don't know enough about it, but, uh, but like, those are the opinions I've heard where people are like, oh boy, Bill really took advantage of the Crockett's. He sold them essentially nothing. Well, even if that's the case, good for Bill, because a lot of these companies are just going out of business, just losing money. And all of a sudden your territory has gone where Bill saw a way out and he made it work. So like, well, man, yeah. And, 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 but here's, here, here's where. I look at that good for bill 
I mean, if he's smart enough to uh, to uh, see a way out, uh, why would you go to somebody and say, "Here's here, here's what I think's ha- happening. I think New York's going to end up owning the whole uh, the whole world, and uh, that's why I'm getting out." Yeah. I, are you? You know, it's kind of like, are you going to show your hand? Hell no! <laughs> Hell, Hell no! Heck no! You know, so to to like badmouth him for doing that is stupid. Agreed. Agree. Like if, yeah. if anybody's mad, they're probably just mad that they didn't think of an idea of that nature. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, so no, good on Bill. So I do also want to mention at this time that uh, Matt Bourne is with the company as Doink the Clown. You obviously had a lot of history with Matt dating back to the Rat Pack days in Mid-South. Uh, did you have any kind of a relationship with Matt here during his short run as Doink? Uh, not really. I mean, I would just to say, hello, how you doing? Uh, and I mean, I never, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, I knew Matt, you know, I, I knew him business wise. I mean, I saw him in the dressing room. I worked with him, but I, you know, I didn't have any social life with Matt Bourne whatsoever. So, you know, it wasn't like he was one of my, you know, it's kind of like, uh, now I you know one of my really good friends <laughs> by the name of uh, you know he's that great big guy from uh, upstate New York that <laughs> carries the board. Oh, that guy! Yeah, hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> I've heard of him. He's a very good friend of mine, and he and Matt Bourne they had a little history. I know that those two had a. It was covered on uh, Matt Bourne's Dark Side of the Ring, uh, which which came out recently. If if you folks haven't seen it, I strongly recommend you go check it out. It's a pretty wild story, um, but yeah, it's indicated that they had heat dating way way back. And uh, I am curious. So I mean, you're tight with with Jim. Is there any? Do you have a little heat with Matt as a result of your buddy Jim having no. some heat with him? No, not at all. Not yeah, no, not not that I you know I never had bad. You know, I don't think I ever had a, a crossword with him. Wow. Okay. I've I've heard he was, and they kind of outlined in this dark side of the ring that he was a pretty volatile personality. So pretty remarkable that you never really had a run in with him if you were spending a bunch of time around him. Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of like there's some guys that you want to spend time with, and there's some guys that you don't care to spend time with. And that would, you know, I I kept my relationship with him pretty professional. Okay. In in the ring and you know yeah. locker room only. Uh, well, I, I do want to ask before we get off the subject, Matt is coming, you know, he was a second generation star and great worker and, you know, kind of been a badass for most of his career. And now he's here in the WWF as a clown. What did you think? Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if I'd have wanted, I don't know if I'd have wanted uh, to be Doink the Clown, <laughs> you know, but again, uh, you know, when you take into the sitter- consideration, the changes that had taken place in the wrestling business. I mean, you know, I was, I was old school, old school. I mean, I might like, you know, I grew up, you know, uh, and you know, my dad and Dory Funk senior had a three and a half hour Texas death match in Amarillo, Texas, in 1966, mm-hmm. you know, old school, you know, uh, protect the business type wrestling. I, I was from that, that school, that era of wrestling. So what I, what I wanted you know, to do was I wanted, I wanted that to continue. And, you know, and when, when I saw what Vince was doing at the, at the beginning of it, you know, with the, the, uh, you know, the, almost the, the cartoon 
type of stuff and and what have you the cindy lopper and all that you know I, I i i was angry but you know it took me a while to understand that vince vince mcmahon has now made a way to make wrestling mainstream mm-hmm. i mean it's kind of like uh uh Wrestling is the bastard child of the entertainment industry. In other words, you know, wrestling, you know, uh, entertainment. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like we, we're the, you know, we're down here. We're the, we're the, we're on the last rung. Mm-hmm. Vince McMahon made pro wrestling acceptable. He made it like the toast of the town, you know, yeah. where all yeah. of a sudden you guys go from being almost like a, a carnival type business yeah. where you're just traveling yes. town to town right. to to right. mainstream, to pop right. culture. Um, so pretty, pretty cool. And yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, that's what Vince did for professional wrestling. I mean, I mean, yeah, I remember Arn Anderson and I had this conversation and Hart said, he said, he said, Ted, he said, he said, Vince doesn't like wrestling. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, if, if it could be anything else. And so he's always been trying to make it something more worthy, you know, more acceptable. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's why all these other things came along now. And so, and today I'm grateful. I mean, I, you know, it goes like January, February, March, uh, April, May, June. That's right. This is the end of the second quarter. I got my uh, second royalties check. All right. Yeah, and it was a pretty dang good one. Man, hard to argue with the results, uh, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, I have kids, you know, I come up and, you know, well, kids that are now full-grown men. <laughs> <laughs> I come up to get my autographs and stuff, and, you know, they tell me about all these video games they played that I was in. And, I, you know, I know about them, but I, I never saw one. You've never I, seen I, uh, I, footage? I never... I never I, no, I've never laid eyes on me in a video game. Wow. All right. Well, we're going to have to change that at some point. I'm, I'm going to get some of these images on here so you can see them. Oh, gosh. Um, but, man, it's uh, – and look, when it came to Matt as as Doink the Clown, it's I think a lot of guys would see that creative and probably shut themselves down a little bit and be like, come on, this guy's making me a clown. I'm coming into this territory. Matt took that ball and ran with it and ran with it probably better than most other people could have, right? Well, and then, and then, you know, when Matt left, Steve Kern, yes, Steve Kern, who, who I respect as a really pretty damn good wrestler, you know, took it and he ran with it and he did well with it as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, on paper, I, I think most people would say, boy, that gimmick sucks, but I mean, it had some longevity and those guys did some really cool stuff with it. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was never into drugs or whatever, but but you know, he loved his pot. Yes. And and now, Marcus, I don't know about you, but like, you know, okay. Anytime I ever smoked marijuana, mm-hmm. I became this. <laughs> Pretty I, much. I, I wanted to go sit in a chair somewhere, and then and then the next thing I realized is I was hungry, but. And this is true. Pot also has the opposite opposite effect on some people. I've known some people who smoke pot, and it's like, it's, <laughs> right. and that's what it did for JYD. I mean, I mean, dog. I mean, he could he could he could smoke a joint, and he he 
he's wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and telling stories and you know it was just crazy you know? so anyway. <laughs> so like when you're getting high with dog who's who's driving you know, under those no. circumstances gotta well, be him I mean, well yeah he's driving you know yeah, you know, yeah no, <laughs> this is <laughs> this is another uh, uh i'm trying it's not jyb but it's a story i, I, I kept trying to think who was in the car with us um um uh and we were we were driving back to uh mid south we we were driving back from houston and uh, i think we were all going to alexandria cuz a lot of the guys uh, i had apartments in alexandria louisiana which is right in the middle of the state um but there's not a whole lot in Alexandria, so I I stayed in Baton Rouge, and so did Dog, uh, and and, uh, and I don't even know if Dog was there for that. But so I'm I'm driving, man. We're like about, you know, we're like maybe forty or fifty miles out of Alexandria. <laughs> they kept trying to get me to you know this you know take a hit off the 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 the, the pot, and I said no, man. I said no. I'm like no. I'm going void on that stuff. And so I don't know who it was, but they said, Ted, come on. It says, we're, we're 40 miles out. Take a couple hits. Come on. I said, got you. Okay, give me the damn thing. So I take a t- couple hits off of that. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I slow down to 30 or 40 miles an hour. <laughs> and they said, you meant what you said. I said, yeah. I said, I said, so I, I said, I pulled over and let somebody else uh, carry us on in, but that's you know, me and Pot didn't work. You know, Ooh, JYB. Man. I mean, JYB. I mean, we would have to get up on uh, Wednesday mornings. We wrestled in New Orleans on Monday night, in Baton Rouge on Tuesday night. Pretty much that was every week, and we would get up very early on Wednesday and drive all the way to, to Shreveport to do interviews for the upcoming week's uh, shows. And they would put those interviews into the tape, and uh, and he, I mean, we get in the car, and you know, I mean, if I was driving, it didn't matter because you know he could smoke. I just always told him, I said, "Crack the window, buddy." And uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, you know, he's driving, and it's like you know, he 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 light up that joint and smoke it, and he's talking and telling the stories, and you know, you would you would never know, you would never know. My God, no! I'm yeah. I'm with you, man. I just want to melt into a couch and have some yeah. pizza. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, guys, let's take a minute to discuss our partner and their product, which I will not start the day without. I'm talking about AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. You know, I used to start every day with a bunch of multivitamins to get myself where I needed to be, or even worse, mixing a healthy shake. The vitamins are expensive and annoying to have to remember, and to get the shake right, you've got to go shopping and then get all the ingredients, and then after all that's done, you have to clean the blender, get around all those blades, and it just takes up a bunch of your valuable time. Well, nearly a year ago, I began drinking AG1 every day because I was fed up with my morning routine, and let me tell you guys, it has truly become a game changer for me. Now I have a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted more energy. I wanted to make sure that my immune system was well supported, especially with my young daughter going to daycare every day and coming home with a bunch of germs. 
I wanted better gut health. I wanted a simple solution to incorporate into my daily routine that I enjoyed the taste of. Well, AG1 checked every single box. Here's the best part for me, guys. It's easy. My schedule is pretty much full every single day and AG1 made life easy for me by providing 75 high quality ingredients that give me key daily nutrients by simply mixing one small scoop with water. That's it. I drink it and I'm done. It's an easy micro habit that delivers macro results. Now I know what your next question must be because it would be my next question. How much does it cost? How about less than $3 a day? Break that habit of going to Starbucks or the gas station every day for some unhealthy breakfast that you don't need or some expensive specialty coffee. Spend less money and get a science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients instead with AG1. Now that is what you call a win-win. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash E-G-A-P. That's drinkag1.com forward slash E-G-A-P. Check it out, and I know that you're going to love it like I do. The, the young talent today, uh, by and large, uh, it's not their fault. In other words, the way that my generation, you know, Jake and Hogan and all, all those guys that, were stars in the mid eighties to their early nineties. Well, you know, they, they started, you know, I started in 75, but the way you learned wrestling was you, you, you didn't go to uh, a gym and get in the ring and, and, and learn all that where you learn it is in front of a live crowd. Yep. And you know, uh, you're a new guy. So like when I started, you know, here in the mid South, uh, you know, I'd be the opening match every night, you know, on a card and, and, but, but the guy across the ring is a veteran who could help me, who could, uh, you know, uh, again, you know, uh, you know, and I, and again, uh, the old, old school is, uh, the heels, the bad guys in wrestling are the guys that are actually the guys directing traffic. They're the guys calling the match. And, uh, so all I do is shut up and listen and do what I'm told. But as you do that and, and you, and you have the crowd there and, and, and you hear the crowd react, it's, it's, it's a process that takes time, but over time you learn it and you learn to respond to the crowd and you learn that you realize that every crowd's not the same. It's kind of like, uh, I remember going to Pittsburgh. <laughs> it's like uh, Pittsburgh, for whatever reason, was one of the hardest crowds to. I mean, it's like, uh, what do I have to do to get them to react? You know, <laughs> like uh, at my throat. <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, it, it was it, it's an acquired skill over time, and it's not available. It's not available today because a lot of the young guys getting in the business, you know, they're going to. You know, and obviously, and WWE has a. They, I mean, a, a man. Uh, their training facility is is great because I've, I've been there, I've watched it, but the but for the same reason, I mean, and the guys that are there training, like Terry, Terry Taylor's one of the trainers, and and the, the several other guys I could mention that are helping train these guys, but they're training the but, but the 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 thing that they don't have, they don't they only have the opportunity 
to get in front of a live crowd once a week. Right. And that's where you learn it. That's really where you learn it is you learn to respond to the crowd. And, and it's, it's you, you, you realize that sometimes you're not, you're not going to get the same response from a different crowd. And, and, and uh, then it's, you have to be able to think on your feet and, and, and react. And it's just, it's like I said, it's an acquired skill and it takes time. And that's what's missing in, in, to, in my opinion. That's what's missing in wrestling today because, you know, I mean, I guess the good news is for the talent, you know, like uh, they only, they only wrestle four days a week, right. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And uh, that's just, you know, I mean, we wrestled every night. I mean, you know, I mean, you might have a day off here and there, but basically old school, uh, though you were, you were in a different town every night and you were driving to those towns and, you know, we, you know, you weren't making thousands of dollars and, and, and everything, but, uh, obviously it's kind of like the old NFL and the new NFL. And I was obviously part of the old WWE. <laughs> yep. I mean, you know, there's certainly some benefits to it, you know, and to your point, it's, they're doing less dates and that means it's, it's less wear and tear in their bodies. And we're seeing the guys, you know, like AJ styles, he's, he's well into his forties now and still at the top of his game. And, you know, there's something to be said for that where they're not tearing their bodies up. However, to your point, you know, yeah. the, the, the true art of wrestling, the, the real the wrestling in its purest form, uh, doesn't quite exist anymore. No, it doesn't. And, uh, and, and it, I, again, it's not the it's not the, the fault of the talent. It's just the the process of of the way things went. The, all of the wrestling fans of my generation, anyway, you know, and I hear it all the time. Uh, you know, like when I do these autograph signings, you guys in the that were in the mid '80s to the mid '90s were the last great, uh, you know, athletes of wrestling. Um, and I don't know, um, it's a different business now. Everything changes. I mean, I, I'm trying to be, I'm just going just like, you know, you know, I, I was, I was a star in my generation. Okay, great. But, um, there's still a, there's still a huge audience. I mean, I'm like, I mean, oh my gosh, thank, thank goodness. There's still a huge audience bigger than ever. But the audience today, they see a much different product. But I have a lot of fans who will go back because they have the ability to go back now. Uh, WWE's got, you can watch everything. Uh, you can you can watch all the old shows. And I have a lot of fans who go back and watch those shows and come to me and say, man, you guys were great. You know, and that's because we told the story in the ring. The, the, the story wasn't what happened out in the parking lot or in the dressing room or whatever. And, uh, and, and again, uh, I am as grateful as anybody to Vince McMahon for what he did for wrestling. I mean, he took wrestling, uh, was like, it's kind of, wrestling was kind of like the, like I said, the, the bastard child of the entertainment industry. It's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Professional wrestling. It's kind of like, uh, uh, almost like when I watched the Elvis movie mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and, and Elvis goes, uh, to the circus and watches the circus and all that stuff and where, and where, and where he got his start, you know, but then he, then he grew to be, you know, one of the, you know, in my opinion, the greatest entertainer of all time.
uh, you know, uh, it was a different era. Yes. And, and so uh, uh, my hats are off to all of the current talent. And uh, it's just, you know, they, they, they can't, you know, I, I guess you, you can't learn what's not available to you anymore. Right. Not their fault. And, yeah, no. you know, who's going to turn down Hey, uh, you don't have to work as many dates or make as many towns and we're going to give you a, a ton of money. Nobody's yeah. going to turn that down. So it's, yeah. you know, Hey, good for them. It's awesome. However, it's, it's maybe not good long-term for us as, as fans, because, you know, after a while, if, if every single match has 10 high spots and you don't, you don't have any high spots because that's just wrestling now, you know yeah. what I mean? So what, what's it going to take for a high spot? Does somebody have to get thrown off a building? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. so yeah, or or it's or it's a or the whole match is a high spot yep you know it's it's kind of like uh you know back you know back in the old days you know if 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 i were to get thrown out of the ring or if i like i used to take this bumper where i'd have somebody kick me off and i would go back and i would hook the ropes and i would go backwards over the top rope all the way to the floor well when i hit that floor i laid there Mm -hmm. I didn't hit the floor and bounce up, <laughs> you know, like nothing ever. You know, yeah, I'm okay. No, I laid there and I, I sold it, you know, and I sold it, you know, you know, and I got up slowly, you know, to, you know, and then, you know, now the people, if you're a baby face, they're pulling for you. If you're a heel, they're, they're wanting the baby face to go get you and beat you up. Uh, but again, it, it's, those are the things that, that, that are just, you know, it's different now. They run through this routine. You know, it's like boom, 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 boom. You know, and you, and you, uh, like again, you see guys talking over their match in the back. You know, it's kind of like you know, the only thing I ever talked over, I said, you know, like if I had a history with a guy, I said, okay, based on what the people saw last time, maybe we should start this way tonight, right? You know, and and then I knew, and we knew what we call the finish, the way it's going to end, because that's the hook to get you back for the for the next one. But other than that, we called it on the fly. And it's just, you know, it's just not there. It's just like, it's like a dying art. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a, maybe a few guys that have that ability today. And I would say that most of those guys were guys like me who grew up in the business and who had fathers who mm -hmm. were in the business. So like, you know, like uh, Cody Rhodes. Yes. Dustin Rhodes. You know, those guys, uh, you know, and again, who's one of the biggest stars they got now? Cody Rhodes. There's a reason for it. He knows how yeah. to tell a story out there. And look, yeah. you know, audiences evolve and we get that, uh, you know, like it, being thrown out of the ring back in the day. That was a big bump and a gasp type moment. Now it's a transition. Yeah. And, you know, I know that uh, I know that, you know, it's it's like the old monster movies. You know, we, we hear all the time that when somebody would see the Bela Lugosi Dracula, like people were fainting in the movie theater at the time. Right. Uh -huh. uh, but now people see that and it's just nothing. It, it doesn't it couldn't frighten my two year old. You yeah. know, so so people people evolve and people change yeah, and exactly. the taste change. But I mean, what's a, what point are we going to get to where, you know, is a high spot going to be pulling out a gun and shooting somebody in the <laughs> ring? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, yeah. man. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly. It's like, you know, what, you know, what do you gotta, what do you gotta do? So anyway, 
Yep. I'm not, I'm not sure about the future, but you know, Hey, look, your era of wrestling is called the golden era for a reason. And ever since, I don't, I don't remember there being a platinum era or a diamond era. Nobody's referred to any era, you know, yeah. as, as something greater than the golden era. So I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully it's to come. Just so all you fans know, cause I get this question all the time. So how much that is it real? I said, it's not, it's not real diamonds. It's not solid gold, but all the stones in that belt are what they call cubic zirconium. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, they're almost diamonds. I don't know what, I don't know what the difference is between a diamond and almost a diamond, but I know all those little diamonds in the face of that belt, the little ones back in 1988 were 50 bucks a piece. Wow. That the, the estimated value of, of the million dollar belt in 1988 was $40,000. My goodness. Yeah. And I carried it. I, what I did, what I did is I took a Halliburton briefcase mm -hmm. and I gutted it and, and I say I did that, that what they, they did for me and they put foam padding in it and they made a ring box basically out of a, uh, out of a briefcase and the million dollar belt would sit right down in there perfectly, you know, fold it up. And, uh, that's how I carried it around. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it, and yeah, again, like I said, it's, it's estimated value was $40,000 and, you know, and it was, and it was insured. So, man, imagine the value now too, you know, this is a belt, not only, yeah. you know, not only is it probably appreciated in value just on the surface, but also it's, you know, it's been on television, uh, you're a hall of famer and you held it. Uh, it's been in, involved in countless angles. Like we could be talking about six figures. Yeah. Yeah. Could very easily could be, man. man and, you know, the last time, you know, the last time that, that the real belt was out was that when I did that run with Cameron Grimes and LA Knight, you know, and they brought the million dollar belt back and, uh, and that was pretty cool. Do you know if that was the original million, million dollar belt? Oh yeah. The, the one at, at TV and, and, and NXT was, it was the real belt. Man, wouldn't it have been nice to put it into your contract? Uh, hey, I get the belt whenever I leave the territory. <laughs> You'd be sitting on a small fortune with it. As 1991 wraps up, uh, you're working with the newly reformed babyface version of Virgil a lot. Uh, we will we'll be doing a full episode down the road about Virgil's face turn and, and solo run. But for right now, I just want to ask, what did you think Virgil's ceiling could be as a singles performer? Well, you know... Uh... Virgil's Virgil's a nice guy, but um, I guess the, the the nicest way to say it is he's just not real bright, uh -huh. uh, you know. And and if if he'd have had, you know, um, a little more savvy, a little more talent as a performer, I mean, I I could have done a lot. I mean, you know, like you know, like because you know him playing that part of of being my manservant and and, and all that stuff for as long as he did. And then we, we do a turn and all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, he's, he's a big baby face and, and kicking my butt. That would have been great. But I mean, the, the simple, the simple facts are that, that Virgil didn't have the tools to get it done. Just, he just didn't. Man, it's a shame because, you know, I've, I've had the pleasure of being around him a couple of times. Nice guy, like you said, but yeah, just kind of, you know, maybe not, 
exactly 100% savvy when it comes to uh, how to promote himself and, and be the best version of himself with the yeah. uh, with the TV time he was getting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, great look, great body. Uh, mm -hmm. Just it's just kind of doomed from the start.